The Creative Trust podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which we create and record this podcast as the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. When I moved from designing windows to doing big fashion sets, I knew I could do them. I'd done them. And when I got that big format, I was poised and ready to kick off with a massive big bang. The Creative Trust podcast is an exploration into the minds of some of the world's best creatives. We are endlessly fascinated with the ephemeral and the intangible. We make sense of it through our creative process. Over the last two decades, we have created countless installations, each one put up, pulled down, each one leaving an enduring mark on its audience. Gloss Creative and our stellar alumni share everything with you, how people become creative and what we know to be true about the creative process. Amanda Henderson founded Gloss Creative as her way of navigating creatively through life, learning early on that she could make audiences fall in love with environments simply by making them feel and experience something. Memories that last long after the physical immersion have gone. It crystallized her long-held belief that your business plan is to harness your unbridled creative force. And creative renewal is your most important weapon over time. Welcome to the Creative Trust. So here we are for a very special episode of the Creative Trust podcast. We have our hero, Amanda Henderson of Gloss Creative. I should mention as well, we are in the newly minted This Is A Studio by the Pot Plant Boys in Paran and it is luxe. It's pretty beautiful, isn't it? We're loving it. Got the all resources, cameras, televisions, microphones, headphones, everything. Literally, we just rocked up and we're having, chocolate in we're having and a chat. And we're good to go. Yeah. Not even bring your own chocolate. We just actually the lollies are already here. Licorice all sorts. <laughs> Speaking of, this will be a licorice all sorts of a podcast episode. I have been lucky enough to speak to a couple of people and also open up the Gloss Creative DMs and have had some killer questions. So Amanda and I thought, why not do a full episode of your questions? And as I said, it's a mixed bag. We're going to jump topics, but how does it feel to be on the other side? It feels great. I haven't had to do any homework at all, so you can just ask away. This is great. This will be fully channeled. Yep, just bring it on. Firstly, let, let's get started with Christina Redlick, who we adore. We adore her. This is a kick-ass question. How do you handle mansplaining? Oh, my God, this is great. Mansplaining still does exist. I thought it maybe didn't, um, but in the last year I've had a couple of examples where that's happened to me again, which sort of took me by surprise. Well, it's kind of unbelievable when you get to where you are in your career that it's even still happening. I know. Like borderline hard to identify. Yes. So that's how it took me by surprise. I'm like, is this really happening to me? You know, once sort of on a, you know, on a Zoom and another in a real life situation and I was pretty shocked about it actually. Um, How did you navigate it? So I just got clearer. I just, you know, um, and it was in front of a lot of people. So I just was fairly assertive back and just stated, you know, what I thought was the right way forward in a really clear, 
but also calm way. Um, I just almost brought it back into quite quiet but very definite and I think that's the way to go with it. Just keep calm but have your say as well. And I think ultimately it reflected well on me and not so well of the person doing the mansplaining. So, Did you call it out? I didn't call it out at the time but there was another occasion where I called it out at the time you know, when we're on a Zoom. Second offence. Second offence, mm-hmm. yeah. And I actually called it out in a nice way. Yeah. It's like, no, we're not going down that path. Mm. No. So that, yeah. But I've been mansplained, obviously, over my career quite a lot, but that's okay. So how do you handle it? Do you just? You call it out. Yeah, right. Now you call it out and just call it out in the best way that you can. It may not come out perfectly and it might be a bit awkward, But I think if you can speak up at the time, you know, diffusing it with humour if you want, but just be really clear about it. Christina also asked, do you do weddings? No. (laughs) Solid no. Boundaries. Yeah, It's a firm no. Yeah. I think um, we're more suited to evolving brand dreams rather than personal dreams. I think that's just where we've developed and what we love doing. I actually asked this question. Yeah. I slid into your DMs and I said, what's the fave prop you've ever taken home from an event? Because I know some of the answers. Oh, I hope I can remember them. I don't think I take home that much. If I think about our house at the moment, I have John Kerr's planets, flocked planets, uh, peachy fluoroid mid-tones. They're amazing. Yeah, I have the flocked planets in our house. Yeah, which were kind of for yourself. That yeah, was part that of was NGV self-generated. Yeah. Art of dining. Art of dining. That was self-generated work, so it's something I absolutely adore. Yeah. Uh, the planets. Um, I don't have that much else really. I think the amount of work we do is just prohibitive for collection, mm. you know, and I don't have a lot of space. I've sort of, even when we did have a lot of space, Unless it's really effective or beautiful, I don't bring it home because my eyes have eaten it, mm. <laughs> you know, so I, I don't keep it. I generally don't keep it. I have to say. It, oh, hang on, except for the giant napkins. I have a very large collection of giant napkins for dinner parties. Haberdashery. Yeah, section yeah. of the linen press. I do have to say, knowing you for as long as I have, if there was a prop, it would be flocked. If you took something home or if you created something, a prop, something out of the ordinary, it would be flocked. I have seen flocked flowers, flocked vases, flocked planets, which are just balls. Yeah. But the flocked flowers, we I've done a lot of flocked flowers, but Jan Riley and I, for Fashion Festival back in the early 2000s, did beautiful black vases flocked. That was pretty beautiful. We had that in our house for I'd say about five years. It was very, it was beautiful. There was an amazing ribbon chandelier, which you'll tell me how much ribbon. Two kilometres. Two kilometres yeah. of, was it French? Yeah, of course. Sat- double sided satin. I would love you, which I don't, I don't know if you've actually told this story in a public setting, but definitely at, at a dinner party. Hmm. This isn't a prop you took home, but it is a memorable travel item you took home. Tell me about Kylie Minogue in Paris and the Apple TV. So there we were in Rue Jacob in Paris at 11am on an idle Tuesday. (laughs) 
we're walking along and it was the time when she was unwell and she was um, living with Olivia Martinez in Paris. So I saw this very short-haired woman with a beautiful long Chanel jacket and I'm like, that jacket looks great, that hair looks great, that's Kylie. And there was no one else around. So I walked up to her and literally said, hi. I'm Australian. I'm from Melbourne, just so she knew, you know, it wasn't didn't mean her any harm or anything. And we're here in Paris and hi kind of thing. What'd she say? She was like, oh, hi. She, I mean, obviously she knew what to do. Um, she was, yeah, she knew what to say. And she was like, oh, you should go to um, La Durée and get yourself an eclair or something. And I was like, well, actually we've already been here. It is. And she's like, oh, too good. And then we had a photo and it was a really nice exchange and then, you know, we forgot about it. And that afternoon we went into Colette in Roussonore, which is a beautiful, was a beautiful store. And in there we walked in and there was the most amazing television set and it was in the shape of a red apple, the green leaves with the antenna and the core, you know, everything was brand was hands-free. It was beautiful. Anyway. It was at the beginning of our journey and, you know, my husband said to me, look, you can bring it with you but you're going to have to carry it through. We've got new whole of Europe and London and New York to do. He said, why don't we just go back to the hotel, look up the internet, see if there's a an Australian agent. If not, we'll buy it, come back tomorrow and buy that. So anyway, I, w- I went, okay, let me just go around and pick up all the magazines and everything I want and bring it to the counter. And I put it all onto the counter and I looked to my left and Kylie Minogue, same day, is standing there buying my television set. <laughs> so I said, I turned to her and I go, oh, my God, that apple, I wanted that. That is so beautiful. But we're travelling at the moment and, I, you know, I'm not going to get it for the moment. She said, yes, I've bought it for the apartment for Olivier and I. And I'm like, of course. But also let's have a moment on the fact that you were at a counter and the shop people were not paying you attention and then all of a sudden you've walked up to Kylie Minogue yeah. and she's like, hi, how are you? Nice to and see it, you. And it looked like we were friends. BFFs. Literally looked like we were BFFs. So her security guard and all the Colette people made a ring around us like we were best friends and everyone was kept away. And she's like, oh, I've got these candles for the apartment, da 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 and then she turned to me and she goes, oh, you're in all the right places. And I'm like, thanks, I am. Life made. It was good. It was a pretty great day to see her twice in one day and her recognise me. It was just. It's iconic. That was a great travel dream. Mm. That was really good. Not the first time you've been in a retail space with a celebrity. A true. Spice Girls circa. 1990. Yep, having brunch with you and Pam Easton in at Crown. Before lunch, we'd seen these beautiful sunglasses, said I'll have a think over lunch and thought I'm having lunch, decided I'm going to go back and get them. I Everyone else has finished or not still eating, I've finished. I ran back to the store. Priorities. Yeah, I ran back You're to the dust. store. You're all dust. I need Gucci sunglasses. I need to get them. Yeah. I'm not leaving without them. I'm going back. I get in there. And I'm shopping around, the girl's getting them to them, getting me, them. And I turn around and all of a sudden the front doors are shut and there's all these people with their face up against the window. And I turn back into the store and I'm shopping with the Spice Girls. 
the five of them had, you know, came in the back, obviously looking for fun, and I'm there literally shopping with the Spice Girls. So did you actually or were you just like ignored or did they include no, you? No, no, no. They were, they were really cool about it. Obviously I was being served but I was like, hi, and they were like looking around. So it was really nice. I was, I was there with the Spice Girls. It was pretty great. Great. Yeah. So that, that was pretty good too. So I've still got those glasses. They're pretty good. Can't wait for that hand-me-down. Yeah. With the story. Yeah, no, it was, it was a great moment. Claire from Acid Flowers had two great questions. The first one was when you have multiple creative voices or stakeholders, how do you get everyone on the same page? Firstly, shout out to Claire. Adore what she's done with Acid Flowers, an amazing stylist in Sydney, and she's just beaten her own path with Acid Flowers and it's absolutely beautiful. Massive congrats to her. I think getting everyone on the same path is talking to people about the dream, talking to people about what the story is you want to tell, talking to people about the vision for what we could create. And I think a lot of people are in a hurry to get things done, but I'm in a hurry for people to understand where we're going. We spend a long time talking about the ideas amongst ourselves with our clients, with our suppliers and collaborators so everyone can have enough information of the brief so that they can have their own dream as well within the dream. So even though we've got a bigger umbrella strategy idea, when people apply themselves to that idea, they're going to come up with something original and they're going to give you their version of that dream. So I guess my advice is to talk enough about the vision and the creative dream that you are and the magic that you want to create, just keep talking about that or every time and let that be your rudder. You know, when people throw in, oh, let's do this, oh, let's do that, yes, take it on board. If it's the right thing, include it in the magic, include it in the idea, but make sure it's not getting away into a different direction unless you want to take that direction. You decide. Don't let things just slide without you feeling that you've got any control. So, yeah, so I think I think that's the best way. And, you know, one of the great things you can do, if your idea is strong enough, down the path, if you feel it's it's not going quite right, you can check back with the original idea and go, how does it, is this still what we want to create? Is this still on the right path for, you know, for being magic? And you can still come back to your original brief and your original idea and I do feel those ideas are the strongest and the best, generally speaking. So, yeah, I feel like you can just keep coming back to that original idea and keep working on it and generally it will work out. That kind of reminds me of an amazing course that you and I both did with Jade from Ra Ra PR she ran a course called The Art of PR, which we found out about after we had her on the podcast talking about PR and what is it. And in that course, one of the one of the biggest takeaways that I got was firstly about always centering what you do from a place of giving instead of taking. And that's for any creative and at any stage of their creative life. I know one of the pillars at Gloss Creative is about generosity. 
I find with giving, often the gifts you give to people at work are the ones you don't know about. People will come up to me and they'll say, you know, I worked with you on this project and I learnt this. And it's nothing on your radar that you think, oh, yeah, I probably give them this as a mentor and give them as that. It'll be, I observed you doing this. I really like the time we did this. I learnt something from you. So often it's the gifts that you give that you don't know you're giving. And I do think young people coming into the industry don't even know or realise the gifts that they're giving are gold, that fresh perspective. Um, You know, nothing makes me more excited than seeing someone experience things for the first time in work. And that is so refreshing for everyone around them. So don't think you don't have gifts. There are gifts that people get from you and you don't even know. Absolutely. So another great takeaway from Jade's course, The Art of PR, was about values. And this comes back to the question about having multiple stakeholders, getting them on the same page. Something that's really, really valuable to do when you are a creative, honestly, in everything, is to figure out what your values are. Mm. Whether they're your personal values or a project's values, you can always come back to them. Mm. And coming back to those values means that you make decisions based off of those. And I do think trying to work out what your values are is a really interesting and worthwhile thing to do as a creative. Hello, life advice. And I do think it's related to who you are and what you love doing. You know, it's that what are the things that bring you joy that are unique to you, that you just repeatedly do creatively are your values. So they're already there. You actually don't have to look too far. It's already within you. I think your values already, the way you go about things, what you create, the values are already there. You just have to actually observe them within yourself. Oh, absolutely. I do feel like you can ask someone else. Like some of the insights that I've got about my work have been from you when you were uh, almost like a child, like, mm-hmm. oh, I, you, I noticed you do this or what about that? And I've gone, oh, oh vice really. versa. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like your values um, are already there. You just have to sort of be observe yourself enough from a distance, look down on yourself and go, oh, that's actually amazing. That's one of my values. That's what I, you know, so it just requires that pull back and a little bit of thinking about what your values are. And as I said, they're linked to the things you love doing. It's a valuable exercise to ask the people closest to you what they think your values are. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Hopefully they're the same. Well, yeah, Yeah. or they might plant a value seed in you that you didn't really know was there. Mm. Um, I Mm. remember my husband saying, you're quite adventurous. And I thought, what the hell are you talking about? Mm. I'm a Tory and I like being at home. But he was like, no, it's... It's that need for excitement. It's that um, sort of ever-changing. And it, it it has ended up being one of my core values because it wasn't something that I witnessed in myself. But upon reflection. So it, you are an adventurer. Well, yeah. Mm. Or I value mm. excitement, mm. which under that umbrella comes change. 
adventure, all those sorts the of novel. things. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely ask the people around you what your values are. Do a little bit of a deep dive. Limit yourself to like four values. Yeah. That you can actually put down on paper. Because as Jade will say, if you've got ten, four of them are the same. Three of them are the same. Like yes. simplify, simplify, simplify. Yeah. Yeah. Curate. We agree with that. Definitely. So this is a question from myself. Do you engage with coaches? What are your opinions on professional coaches, personal coaches? Is it something you've always engaged in? I know you do now and I know that uh, you value a team of, of coaches. How did you get there? How did you get to that point? I guess like most people when you're younger, you just fumble through life a bit. You just do the best you can with what you've got. You try and get educated. Um, but I do feel there's a moment for expertise, um, particularly as you go on in life. I feel like if you think about it, elite sports people always have coaches. There's no one who goes to the Olympics that doesn't have a coach. That you know, so I feel the idea of a coach is a pretty valuable thing. And I've really only got into it in the last five years. Now I've got like four coaches. I think also coaches, I don't know if it's the marketing around them or the, or the awareness around them, they've diversified as well and they've niche. So you can get a coach Definitely. for different things. It's not just a lie. I don't have a life coach. No, because I they're have various, all actually life coaches. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's specific areas. Uh, you know, I work with two kinds of business coaches. I work with nutrition. I work with exercise coaches. I work with mindset coaches at different times. And I think you're crazy if you don't have a coach because they're the people that are going to hold up a mirror to you and ask the right questions. At the right time. Yeah. Yep. But I feel like with coaching, it's actually, it's not them telling you what to do. And that is the biggest misconception about coaching is that they're going to come up with the right answers for you. It's not. You have to come up with the answers and it's up to you. They're the people questioning. Holding um, space. Holding, yeah, holding space and facilitating and suggesting what, what it is that they see that might benefit you. You have to decide whether you're going to take it in or not and often they're really great mirrors and they can somehow put into words maybe what you're feeling um, and you just talk with them and they can interpret what you're saying often way better than you could, one could do it. And it's when you hear that back is when you have the light bulb moments and you go, oh, is that it? Is that what I think? Is that what I'm doing? Maybe it could be like this. And then those light bulb moments lead to change in some way because your mind has been opened and it's free to let more new ideas in. So, yeah, it's invaluable. I will never give up coaching now. So what would you say to someone who thinks maybe the price tag with coaching or they're at a stage where they can't justify they think they can't justify the the money for coaches. I, me personally, I think that coaches don't charge enough sometimes for the value that they provide in your lives. Like I have an incredible kinesiologist who has literally shifted the trajectory of my life 
through empowerment, through being a mirror. What do you say to the people who go, oh, no, like can't afford it? So I'm going to quote one of my favourite coaches, which is Travis Murrells from The Fitness Genie. Love Trav. Amazing. Shout out to an incredible business. I think he has this idea about there is nothing more valuable than investing in yourself. Things can come and go, but knowledge that you own and bring into your life is always there. It's always there in the background, helping you make decisions. Investing in yourself is never wasted. And ultimately, if you're younger, if you can put that knowledge to use when you're younger, you're going to have a great life. Like Such an advantage. Yeah, like I waited a long time to get coaching for anything and, you know, reasonably successful, all mm. of that. But having coaching is making me understand more and see more possibility and it helps potential. you. Potential takes away the limits. You're not limited you know? by your own imagination. Correct. And if someone else can open your mind to what's possible, um, that's an amazing thing. So that's the money to spend on yourself when Make you are work. younger. Yeah. yeah. Or anytime really. Yeah. You know, what you get in that coaching is incredible. I I definitely have a coach all the time now my favorite spend me too uh, the power of knowing yourself better mm. why aren't we valuing that yeah, more yeah. you know and those things that you know roll around in your head that you keep not answering and answering you can get them answered why wouldn't you yeah beautiful i've got another great question which is from Jack Adice, his name's Jack Fordham. I actually had a little peruse at his Instagram and mm -hmm. one of his images was him doing full Dennis Rodman hair. And I, I was like, it. that is sick. So his question to you was, how do you juggle a startup biz slash side hustle while still working and paying the rent? Yeah, this is a hard one. But I feel like if you're doing a number of things, I do think you have more freedom. So I think if you're doing several things, you've got a bit more control of your time. So my best advice if you're doing a number of things is to let go of anything in your world that is extraneous or duty-bound. Don't be bound by duty ever. Be bound by the things you want to be bound by. Don't let I should do this or I should do that worry you. We hate the word should. Yeah, no, we don't If like you it. say I should do it, means, do not do it. Well, it means you should be doing it really. But, well, you should you have know. already done it. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like get rid of things that muddy it up. False, I guess, false timetables about things. Mm. Yeah, false timetables or things that you think you have to do but you don't really. Really you're just making it up and making more things you have to do in your day. Lower your standard of housekeeping. Best thing I did, um, you know, when you were little was let the, ha the housekeeping standards lower. You know, I had a minimum okayness. There was never food on the floor or anything like that but your rooms were messy. 
big deal, you know, you, it's fine. Like, yes, have simple meals. Like you don't have to do everything to an, a perfect, perfect level. Sometimes okay is okay. So I feel um, you've got the freedom and you've probably got this um, energy to put towards the things you really love to get that going. So if you're good at time management and get rid of all of the extraneous stuff, I think it's a good thing. Keeping it simple. Yeah. Oh, my God. We love complicating things. Yeah, I agree. We love I'm the biggest person that does this. Like, for example, when you're a freelancer, you'll sit down at a table and you'll be like, I've got to do this work, but it's like, oh, I need the cup of tea to do it. Yeah. Oh, wait, my laptop's not charging. I'll just quickly like plug yeah, it in. And yeah. then it's like, you know what's nice around. right now? Some incense. And then it's like you just fluff and fluff and fluff and you answer your emails and you don't actually do the work and you think, oh, my God, time's up. I've got to move on to the next thing. But it's like just keep it simple. Lower your standard of living. Yeah, no, it's true. And also I do feel the more work you do, the quicker you do things. Like, you know, when they say ask a busy person to get something done, mm. they do it quicker. Mm. And it's true. So I yeah, feel like, like the less you, time you've got. Yeah. yeah. So the more that you are doing with your side hustle as well as your other jobs, I feel like you're probably in a good position to achieve quite a lot, you know. And I guess that transition to where the side hustle becomes the thing, you'll feel a point where you can do both. There'll come a tipping point like everyone and you'll take that leap. I feel like you'll feel it when that time has come. You'll get this momentum that now is the right time to do it or you'll be pushed. <laughs> that old chestnut. Yeah. Uh, Claire from Acid Flowers again, mm. actually didn't circle back to her question, but it, it's a nice segue. Mm. When levelling up, how do you prove you can do bigger and better than you've done before? I think clients are looking for new things and different things. I feel like often younger people have all of this creativity and they're already doing amazing things. So the level up will come from someone who can see what the possibilities are and they will reach down and they will pick you up and they will bring you with them and that's the level up because they can already see that you're in full bloom with what you're doing and they will pick you up and take you with them and all of a sudden you'll be in a new bigger playground and you'll be able to strut your stuff and you only have to do that twice, once or twice and do it really well and you're at that level. So you're probably already at that level. You just haven't had the opportunity yet to show the world mm. how great you are. And I felt like that when I moved from designing windows to doing, you know, big fashion sets. I knew I could do them. I'd done them, you know, but I hadn't had the big format to do it yet and when I got that big format I was poised and ready to kick off with a massive big bang you know mm. and it, that's it happened mm. you know so when I was I was already doing it in smaller ways and when I stepped into that world it just went boom and it went big. How did that evolve Gloss Creative as we know it now? Well, it's the, it was the first time that people saw my work. 
not hidden by any other PR agency or any other agency taking credit um, or I wasn't under a bigger umbrella. I was under my own name and, you know, well, who did that? Gloss Creative. So that was the f- one of the first times that it was just me and I could take full accountability and credit for the work that I'd done. That took a long time. That actually took like six or seven years. But I think that was pre-digital. So I feel like with social media now, it's easier for people to show their work. You know, I had to wait for Vogue Living to do an article on me in 2008 after being in business from 2001 Mm. for people to understand who we are and what we did. Um, I think it's a lot faster now because you claim your own work now. It is your own work. You're showing it all the time. So I think it's a lot easier now to get credit and show what you can do Mm. and it will naturally go to that next level if you're talking about how do I level my work up that's a different question so if you want to level your own work up you have to take off any limiting factors for yourself and at the end of the day you have to see the biggest vision you can possibly have for yourself or the particular project so I found as soon as I started to dream bigger literally come up with craziest scenarios, I leveled to that scenario. I leveled to that level of thinking that I made up and it works. So, you know, it's that shoot for the moon, end up in the stars. If you're not even going for the moon, you're never going to get there. But if you go for the moon, mm. you'll probably get there. You Did know, it take so, long? Um, it took me a while to take off the limits that I'd set for myself. You know, when I was working in the corporate world and also you're in a team environment and often, yeah, you're encouraged to be part of the team, not so much as an artist being yourself. Mm. Um, And that's changed a lot now, which is great. So I feel like the level up now is when you're doing concepts and when you're doing ideas is to really... um, Think of the most incredible form of that idea and keep working towards it and just claiming that higher level of, you know, could we have better graphics? Could we have better spatial? Could we have better emotive reasons? And just keep working at it and it will happen. If you think you're levelling up, you are. It's true. Lisa O'Reilly firstly said, why are you so amazing? Which I agree. Oh, she's cute. Um, but she also said, how do you deal with your fears about criticism from peers? That is such a good question. It's such a good question because in a previous podcast actually on this season, Steph D'Alberto talked about creative jealousy and I love that conversation about, you know, when you see someone who's done something amazing and you're green with envy because it's so good. You know, I have those situations and I go, man, I wish I'd thought of that, you know. I've heard you say that many times. Yeah, Yeah. and it's respect to those people who've done it. You just go, wow, that is amazing, you know. But you can't let that colour what you're doing. And honestly, it's the same thing in life. Everyone's being judged all of the time. But I don't really care what people think of my work. Because as you say, 
and I've heard this from you before as asked so many times, what other people think of me and my work is none of my business. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I even thought about what people think about my work, I'd go crazy on the inside. I just don't think about it. I try not to think about I think about what I think about my work. Mm. And sometimes I think, oh, maybe that should have been different or that should have been, you know. But at the end of the day, I can be my own critic about what I think about our work. Um, and honestly, I do not think about what other people think anymore. They can think it. I don't have to hear it. I don't care. People often find it hard to take that and actually put it into their lives. The, mm-hmm. What other people think of you is none, none of, of your, your business. business. It's the in best the, piece of advice. In the same way that someone wouldn't walk up to you and say, what do you think of me? I'm entitled to know. You are not entitled to know. Yes. Yeah. Like, Keep out of it. Yeah. Don't just in the same d- way that you can think thoughts about people and you'd never tell them. Yeah. Because it doesn't do you any good. It doesn't do just anyone to, any good. You know, it's, to it's all think judgment. About, oh, what do they think about me? What do they think about my work? It doesn't actually matter. But also they're thinking those things with their life view, from their life view Correct. and their experiences. They don't know what you've been through. They don't know where you've been, where you've, they who just you've been with. Like this one thing. Yeah, they're yeah. just looking at it from their perspective and it's like and, and people can, can forget this because and me too, when you're in your life and you think, oh, what do they think about me? Or like mm. that judgment. And it's a great one to like write on a post-it note and have it somewhere you can see it. What people think of me is none of my business. Agreed. I love that. I hope that answers that, Lisa. <laughs> so um, I've got a couple of, we're near the end, but a couple mm. of other questions. So Lauren, who is an exhibition designer from WA, Um, Lauren Pornich, I want to say that I've pronounced that correctly. Um, What's the best way to apply for a job at Gloss Creative? Well, that's a hard one. People must ask you all the time, how do I work with you? I want to work with you. Like, I think we kind of are the same as anywhere else. We're a fairly small team. The people that have been successful in getting jobs with us are probably the people that have worked with us on a casual basis before they come on board sort of in a bigger capacity. So it's really simple. Often people will come from VM College at from RMIT in Melbourne. We meet those guys. We see, you know, we have a relationship with RMIT. We mentor students. We talk to their students. And often there are people who are interested in our work and we talk to them. So in a sense, I think there aren't meant that many jobs in our company. Mm. But having said that, we collaborate with people as well. So it's not just a job. You can be a collaborator. You know, we work with um Yeah, you know, maybe a better illustrators. question is work with. How do I work with gloss? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like If you do something that we love, if you're an illustrator, a graphic designer, you know, Kate Robertson in Queensland, we adore her graphics and we're just like, we need more of that. Give us more, Kate, you know, and that's how we started to work. Often we start with people in a really small way on smallish projects where they're just doing one small part of it and then we just start to work together. 
it might be, you know, one time on something small, but the next time it's on two things or three things. So we often start super small and just take it from there one step at a time, mm. you know. But in general, the first email that comes through sounds terrible. I probably don't even answer because unless it's followed up by a phone call, like if you think in the first instance I'm on my mobile phone, I'm on a site, if I don't see it during the day mm. and I'm on, on a site visit, I probably won't see it for four or five days and on your phone it's gone, you know, in the sense, you know, you, you only go back four or five days on a computer. It's the power of follow-up. Yeah. It's, it's PR 101. I guarantee you yeah. anyone who has a job with us has rung and spoken to me and asked to meet with me. That is how you get a job. You don't get a job from writing the email. You get a job from ringing and wanting a relationship. Mm. Um, have a chat, just talk, ask for advice. You know, people have said, oh, you know, I'd love any casual opportunities. I'm like, great, come on this project. We have five or six casuals on this, come on as one. Yeah. See what we're like, see what you think. You mightn't like it. As a project-based business, you're always looking for helpful people. Correct. So I think that's definitely the best way forward. Caitlin from Paradise Hunter, she asked, in order to create an experience rather than just event, what do you think makes that difference? The feels, like literally. The senses. Yeah. Mm. It's how it feels, how it looks. Sounds. How it sounds, how it tastes. Well, smell. Let's talk about yeah. walking into a country road store and it's like. Vegan lime. Yeah. <laughs> Um, every to, second, maybe too much. So but, yeah, every yeah. second store at Chadston has a scent. I actually think it started with Tiger Lily having the coconut and lime candles. Definitely, Do you oh remember my that? God. We went and bought them. It was great back when we thought it was that amazing. Was and now I'm like, I send my husband in to get the stuff from the store because I can't handle the fragrance. I do think it is a number of elements that come together when you send out an invitation, whether it's by email or by analog, by touch, the paper the printing, the colour, the foil, already sets a mood, mm. you know. Um, whether it's the food, whether it's the flowers, whether it's the landscaping of the social groups, it's the excitement that music creates. It's everything that comes together. It's the really big, you know, big gestures and also the small detail, working in unison together. Um, it's also the way the events run. If you've got an amazing event manager who has a sense of now's the right time to do things, now's the right time to move the people, now's the right time, you know, it can all be written down on a piece of paper, but it takes a special person to be able to go, we're late, this feels too late or this is the right time to do this now, let's move to the next stage. When you're at a birthday party and you, like, bring out the cake. Yeah, it's the cake time, yeah. you know. We want to go home now. I get that same sense with the timing of a fashion show, like the crowd sitting there and it's been waiting for a while and it's like, now, mm. don't make them wait any longer. Mm. Um, so it's all those elements that come together. That create um, an experience. That create the whole thing, definitely. Mm. That was a great question. It was a great question. Thank you to everyone who's sent in questions. Beautiful. Got one from the beautiful Sophie Russell. 
Oh, great. My cousin, your niece. Yeah. Um, she said, have the pathways to or within the VM industry changed since you first started? I'm going to say yes. Um, but is it easier or harder now? I think the pathways have changed. Yes and no. I think across the industry now, there are a lot of different professions that do the same job. So if you're an event designer, you might have a background of graphics. You might have a background of event management. You might have a background of entertaining and you can still come at the same job. So I would put it to you that there are many different professionals now doing the same job. So the pathways are more. You might come in through an agency. You might come in through um, creating, being an artist, creating your own sculptures and that leads to exhibition design and that leads to event design. So I think there are way more pathways now. Also with the advent of social media, you can just do the stuff. Just change your Instagram bio and you're a stylist. There you go. Mm. Pretty easy, isn't it? <laughs> so I do think there are way more ways of coming in now, definitely. As with most things, it's like it's not just one way anymore. There's many different ways as there are people. If people are listening to this podcast, they've probably heard your story or how Gloss came to be a few times. Mm-hmm. There's two things I want to touch on from it. The first one is that when you left school mm-hmm. in Adelaide, mm-hmm. visual merchandising wasn't something you could study, no. which is really great advice that I give to people who don't know what they're going to do or are worrying about what the future holds for them if they haven't found their niche. Maybe it isn't invented yet. And I am the example You are the epitome of that. And it, I think it gives people hope and a little bit of what I do, I couldn't do when I left school to be a makeup artist when I left, you know, the private education was like, what? You're going to TAFE, not university? Like I was messing with their statistics. So that a lot of the jobs haven't been invented yet. You're the epitome of that. Um, I think people have a moral responsibility to find out what they love to do. Don't be another person that takes a job for the wrong reasons and is miserable about it. Start with a side hustle or be bold and just take a leap of faith. Spend your time wisely, mm. whether it's researching, whether it's volunteering, whether it's having the conversation with the mentor you don't know that you mm. need, mm. hiring mm. a coach to help you figure it out. Mm. Um, particularly for later on, and this is the second point of your career that I want to touch on, I think you are the queen of reinvention. Well, you have to be, don't you? I feel like... But do you? Yes, yeah, some things are reinvented and some things remain the same. So you can keep the core of who you are and what you do. But, you know, it, for me it's the George Jensen saying, don't follow fashion but be guided by the present if you want to stay young in the struggle. And that's actually probably the thing I live by and it was what your grandmother lived by or still does live by. And I think pay particular attention to what's happening in the world now and work out if that sits with you and your core, your creative core, and bring it in. If you don't like it, get rid of it. You've got full control. Um, so I think that's, that's very important. In terms of your one's career, it's true. Like when I left the VM industry, 
I, I didn't even know what the job I was doing. I was just doing it and labelled it later. So, you know, futures happen. It just hasn't been distributed yet. Chances are you're already doing it. And I think, you know, I love that thing of the more you do things repeatedly and repeat those little habits, you know, every day, all of a sudden, you know, five or ten years in doing what you're doing, you're going to realise you're the master. You've been doing it the 20 or 30 or 20 years in 20 or 30,000 yeah, times. You're already qualified. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I feel like you just do keep doing that. Don't worry too much about what it's called yet. You don't know it now. Don't worry about it. You, it there'll be a name for it soon, you know. There was a statistic uh, that was done in 2021, so post-COVID, fairly recent statistics, about Gen Z, not even Gen Z, I think it was Gen Y, mm-hmm. um, basically young professionals, mm-hmm. would they rather take a $10,000 a year, this is in the States, a $10,000 a year increase in pay or a higher job title and no more money. 60% of people went for the higher job title. Mm, status. Yeah. Yeah, because everyone wants to feel like they're getting somewhere. So this question I didn't actually mention um, is from Alexandra, a beautiful floral stylist. Oh, we love Alexandra Diary. So, um, yeah, her question was about rebranding and reinvention and is it necessary to keep up after a hiatus, hello, motherhood. Yeah, that's a huge one coming back from Matt Leave. I feel like these days it doesn't matter that you've had a hiatus. The world ha- hasn't gone on. You still are you. And, in fact, I feel maybe for some people after having a child they're even better than mm. they were. And when I think of what I've done with children than before. I've done way more since I've had kids than before. I think it just takes it to a different level and a different way of thinking where work isn't absolutely everything. Um, Children put that in perspective so beautifully. Um, You need to give your kids time and your energy and your love. So I feel that keeps things in perspective in terms of you know, worrying about, oh, my God, I have to reinvent yourself. You don't have to reinvent yourself that much. You're already there and you've been doing it. And I feel it's an opportunity to do new things and try new things. And if you feel like you want to go in this direction, or that, that you've got a clean slate again. Yeah, it's a good check-in point. It's like do what you want. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I think that, I mean, don't let the possibilities overwhelm you because there are so many but just start again you know and when I came back from maternity leave like I remember in 1990 no job was held for me I went in and I was a store manager for six months before anything came available and I was like what do you mean I have to be the store manager what had you left I was national VM manager and you went back to store manager yeah that's the only job they had for me I know, so different. So rude. (laughs) Yeah, so different. But I did it and I actually learned a whole lot of stuff. It actually expanded my business brain. Guess what? Great thing for the future. So it wasn't all terrible. It's not going to be perfect all the time, but just take what you can from it. I mean, you know, and I was there for six months and I learned so much. 
Incidentally, Dan Castano did exactly the same job. I was about to mention Dan Castano. Isn't that Castano. hilarious? Yeah. Being the store manager of Sports Girl Burke Street. It's a thing. You guys need pins or something. I know. If there are creatives listening who do work for a boss who are not freelance, a really good sort of piece of unsolicited advice is to make sure that the person you work for doesn't value work above everything else because they will never understand you needing a holiday or, Mm. you know, if you can find a boss and you're the best example of this, who values something, whether it's a hobby or their children or their outside life, just a little bit higher than their work, you guys will have an incredible work environment. It's true. I feel like one of the things that I used to feel like maybe I did wrong, but then worked out later, maybe I was really on the early right path was we used to stop for lunch in the studio at 12 o'clock. We're always starving and we'd have almost an hour for lunch. We'd eat our, our food around the Aga and then we'd just talk bullshit for like half an hour as well. And sometimes you were thinking, oh, should we be back at work? We, we should get back to work now. We should get back to work. And having that break and the chats was so great because everyone was fed, everyone had relaxed, and then we'd go back refreshed in the afternoon. You know, I can't stand the thing of having to rush, rush food. Like yeah. what's that about? Rushing in general is not fun. I will never make my team work more than they need to on projects. It's not to say that we don't give each project what it needs but there's no prize for more hours, mm. no prize. Mm. The prize is doing a great job it's, and the result has nothing to do with how many hours you spend. I think you have to keep that in mind, um, particularly the way it turns out that's the way people like to work now. So we're always being project and result driven. We never worry about the hours in a sense. And when I say that, doesn't mean we don't count the hours You're or not anything watchers. like that. It's not about it's, that. It, yeah. It's about that, quality. It works out, mm. you know, and I'm a massive fan of holidays, as you know, um, and you need breaks or you burn out, you know, taken from someone who has burned out before, you need to have the breaks. I think that what you've just said about um, taking lots of holidays, mm. people think, oh, I can't afford to take the, the break or um, the time or whatever. It's like you can't afford not to take that Correct. time off. Yeah, It's well, really out. important for creative renewal. It's really important to feel refreshed and to enjoy your life. Mm, totally. What's the point? Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. you have a very exciting holiday planned at the end of the year to Japan. Yeah. With Joel, Joel Found. Found. Yeah. yeah. So we're off to Tokyo. I'm just so looking forward to sharing my view, the gloss view of Japan. I mean, it's as simple as, go- I mean, we're going to amazing places to stay. We're looking at beautiful, you know, buildings in Tokyo. We're going shopping. But for me, it's also like I've got an obsession with wrapping scarves, as you know. Firoshki. Yeah, for Rushki. So, yeah. so I've been collecting them for a while. I want to go and find more of those, you know. I want to go and see all the amazing, you know, windows and the restaurant interiors and there's so many things that are amazing about Japan that I'm obsessed with. So mm. hopefully 
you know, people can come, we can share those times together. To provide a bit more context, you have curated this experience. Yeah. Pick the accommodation, pick the thing. Yeah. So if there are any creatives in need of some renewal. Yeah. Travel is, like, is the way to go. This is the travel version of the degustation menu where the chef serves their best. Exactly. And I do feel, and this is something when Joel and I did the podcast, you know, about us going to Japan, what we're looking for. That was on for. Joel's podcast. Yeah, on yeah. Joel Found. If you go to there, you, there are some amazing people talking on that. Stuart Cantor, Chika Kibble, Mim, who are doing amazing trips with Joel, you know. So go to joelfound.com um, to check out those experiences. Yeah, and they're not just and, international. Cheek is doing a beautiful yeah, Chadston experience. Yeah, yeah. So come and find wrapping scarves with me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been the most fun. I feel like everyone's had a little insight into the stuff we talk about every, every day, day. In the car. The amount of times we've been on the phone and we've got on this rant about something and we've been like, that we should have recorded that. Yeah. 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 Well, maybe it's the start of something big. Would be. Thank you for answering all the questions. Thanks. I didn't give you too much of a heads up about. No, that's them good. I'd prefer it that way. Yeah, it's easy for me. That's great. Thanks, Zah. See you soon.